the, then the thing that really sets me off is, well, once we have a vaccine, then everything will go back, back to normal. To normal. Yeah. And I say, <laughs> you mean like the flu vaccine that's 8% effective? Doesn't work. I catch if, I mean, if I had a brake pad manufacturing company for cars and my brake pads were 8% effective, I would be out of business. George Floyd was not taken out because he was black. George Floyd was taken out because he was owed major drug money by Derek Shaven. When you're making vaccines that are 8% effective for the flu that you have to change every year, which, by the way, give most people that take them the flu. Mm -hmm. And you're going to tell me that this new, and they can't sue, you can't sue them for this without going through the VAERS court, which is a joke. And you're going to tell me that once we have a untested, brand new, rushed through vaccine, then everything is going to go back to normal? Good luck with that. I'll tell you what, they're going to test it in Africa, like they're doing, kill a bunch of Africans, pay them off $1,000 per person, which is the maximum that they have to spend if they kill somebody. So they already know that because it's way cheaper to kill them there than kill them here found out what the Chinese Communist Party, the Red Dragon, is doing to these people and have been doing to these people for the last 20 years in China, sending hundreds and thousands of innocent Falun Gong practitioners, Uyghur Muslims, house Christians, and Tibetan Buddhists. Particularly 95% of um, the victims of Falun Gong practitioners to be state-mandated hospitals, concentration camps, death camps, military facilities, uh, military facilities run by the Chinese military at the behest of the, of the highest-ranking officials of the Chinese Communist Party to create a, a legal sanctions forced organ harvesting business. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Defender podcast. We are coming to you from the greatest country in the world, deep in the heart of the Lone Star State, Dallas, Texas. I'm your host, Paul Aguilar. We really appreciate you guys stopping in. If you guys are watching this on YouTube and you aren't already a subscriber, please consider subscribing right now and hitting that subscribe button as well as that bell icon. Also, if you can go ahead and hit that thumbs up button, that'll really help us out as well. If you guys are catching us something though, you can check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio at Truth Defender Podcast. We'll have all the social media links down below as well, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Rumble as well. Um, also, if you have any questions for myself, uh, questions or comments for our guests as well, or guests or topic recommendations, you guys can send us an email at truthdefender1776 at gmail.com. Our next guest is Mr. James Corbett, an award-winning investigative journalist. James Corbett is lectured on geopolitics at the University of Groningen's Studium General and delivered presentations on open source journalism at the French Institute of Research in Computer Science and Automations, FOSSA conference at TEDx Groningen and at Ritsumaiken University in Kyoto. He started the Corbett Report website in 2007 as an outlet for independent critical analysis of politics, society, history, and economics. Since then, he has written, recorded, and edited thousands of hours of audio and video media for the website, including the podcast and several regular online video series. The Corbett Report is an independent listener-supported alternative news source. It operates on the principles of open source intelligence and provides podcasts, interviews, articles, and videos about breaking news and important issues from 9-11 truth and false flag terror to the Big Brother police state, eugenics, politics, central banking fraud, and more. Without further ado, Mr. James Corbett, how are you doing, sir? 
I'm doing as well as can be expected given the circumstances. Thank you. Absolutely. I hope you guys are staying safe out there. Uh, where are you located exactly? So I'm in Western Japan, about halfway between Osaka and Hiroshima, um, which is the armpit of Japan, which uh, when I first moved out here was not where I wanted to be. I wanted to be in an exciting big city like Tokyo. But now, uh, given how everything has played out and given my life uh, at the moment, I'm happy to be in a relatively rural area sure. that is under zero lockdown. Uh, there's no restrictions of any kind uh, and no state of emergency out here, nothing of the sort. So um, I'm in a little pocket of reality amongst the, the larger bubble of unreality that's enveloped most of the globe right now. Sure. That's awesome. Yeah. I spent a little bit of time out in Sasebo. Um, I was actually stationed out there for a little bit. So yeah, I know exactly where you're at as well. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's good that you're staying out of the big city because it's probably a bit hectic right now <laughs> out there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, here, I'm here in Dallas and, um, you know, when the pandemic started, we kind of pretty much locked down like everybody else, not as tightly. Um, and even throughout the whole thing, we kind of never really fully locked down really. Now we have all the mass mandates lifted and everything. So it's pretty much back to, you know, back to business as usual. So, so that's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, so let's kind of jump in here. I know. So September 11th, uh, 2001. So at that time I was freshman in high school. I remember it quite vividly, even though I had never heard of the Twin Towers prior to that date. Um, I didn't know what it was, where it was. I just knew that there was something crazy going on somewhere else. Um, I saw the planes hitting the towers on the TV in class. Class was let out. Everybody was freaking out as they should have. Um, do you kind of remember where you were and what you were up to that morning? I do indeed. I don't think anyone who was around at the time would forget it. I was fresh out of university, just finished my University of Calgary and a degree in English literature. So uh, I had just gotten my first real a real job in a real office, working at a commercial real estate office in downtown Calgary. Uh, went to work, um, met a coworker um, coming off of the, the train as I was coming into work, and she said something about a plane hitting a tower or something. I I didn't know what she was talking about. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. And and so when it, by the time I got into work and started checking the news site, suddenly there was all this news flooding in and. Um, people were listening to the radio in the office as these new reports were coming in. I was listening to the radio reports about there's been a bombing at the Pentagon and all this kind of stuff. And right. it just got crazier and crazier. So I was dealing with it um, in my role at that time as kind of like a, a glorified secretary, essentially, for a commercial real estate outfit. And we even evacuated one of our buildings at one point in Calgary, in Canada. Right. Like, what's going on? But anyway, <laughs> um, so it was a, yeah, it was a crazy day. I didn't get to see any of the footage. I didn't know what any of it looked like until I got home that night. And um, sure. so I I wasn't necessarily getting it exactly as it was happening, like some people did. I, I was just kind of getting bits and pieces and kind of dealing with it. So um, maybe for that reason, when I saw the image of the towers falling as they played it, you know, a million times in the in the coming days. Right. I, I guess I, I had enough remove from that actual moment of it happening that I just accepted it as it was portrayed. And it took me years to break that conditioning and start questioning what it was I actually saw that day. Sure. And and for, you know, like I mentioned, I was in high school at, at that time. So freshman high school, it, it didn't really click for any of us. We just kind of knew that something was going on. Uh, we were just probably more excited that we were getting out of school at the time more than anything. Um, we didn't really kind of understand the gravity of what it meant for us here. Um, and what was going to happen there afterwards. I mean, um, 
we kind of lived in an area where we were full of military people, you know, like around then. Um, a lot of friends that I had, I knew lost parents because, you know, they went overseas to fight um, directly because of that. And I also had friends that later joined the military as well, that they went out there to fight and ended up losing you know, their lives as well. Um, I didn't, thank God, have any kind of part of what happened directly because of 9-11, although I did join the military and spent some time out there, but um, it, it pretty much affected everybody's lives. I mean, from parents to kids and, you know, to friends that I knew, it's everybody just kind of, a lot of kids moved away, a lot of kids' parents went overseas and all kinds of things, and it just kind of really threw a monkey wrench into what was going on at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess we can kind of get into kind of your theory on, I mean, there's plenty of theories out there of who did it and for what reason. But as you mentioned, you heard reports on the TV about explosions and things like that. And now obviously you hear a lot of reports that the Pentagon was hit by a missile. It wasn't necessarily a plane, Building 7. Even though it wasn't hit, it still came down. Kind of maybe give me your kind of thoughts on the whole thing and what you kind of think happened. Yeah, well, kind of think happened is the right way of framing it because I uh, I'm not I don't have any jury uh, uh, subpoena ability. I I'm I'm not a grand jury investigator. I don't have access to the courts to be able to actually put anyone on trial or under oath. Right. So I only have ev- access to the evidence that's provided to us, which is necessarily partial and incomplete and uh, falsifiable in some cases. So I only have my theories and they're only as good as anyone else's theories. Uh, I back it up with evidence when I can. But anyway, if you want my theory about what happened, I do believe that there were people uh, that corresponded to what we call the hijackers, but I don't believe they were hijackers in that sense. Uh, I think uh, uh, the work of, um, I'm not going to be able to cite his name right now. Uh, Talking about Barry and the boys, etc. I forget the name of this researcher. Anyway, people can look it up. um, Who documented the very uh, many uh, uh, the the very interesting triangle going along with drug running, trafficking, connections to the U.S. intelligence agencies, etc. Along with these hijackers who were devout Muslim fundamentalists who like to snort cocaine and party with (laughs) pink-haired strippers, etc. Obviously, there's much more to that story. Um, but I think ultimately it was probably remote controlled planes that were probably swapped out Operation Northwood style, exactly as was talked about in the declassified government documents from the 1960s, talking about blowing up remote controlled aircraft, swapping out civilian aircraft, for remote controlled aircraft, blowing them up, making it look like Cuba did it in order to blame it on the Cubans right. in order to justify an invasion of Cuba. Uh, I think some of those plans were dusted off and used on 9-11. But again, this is speculative and I have bits and pieces and reasons why I believe the various things that I do, but I can't prove that. And I can't prove exactly what brought down the towers. I don't think it was a natural control, uh, natural collapse due right. to gravity. But again, I don't have the, I, I don't have the ability to, to come to the conclusion about this. And it isn't the onus isn't on me or you to prove what did happen on that day. It is for the people in positions to tell us that we're now going to have to start an international war of terror for the next couple of decades or the rest of your life or whatever it is, this open-ended war um, to prove to us what happened that day. And they clearly have not done that. The 9-11 Commission and the various other inquiries were a pack of lies and uh, obfuscations and cover-ups and misdirections, provably so. And that's that's where I think the onus is. They have not proved any of what they have said about that um, attack and where it really came from. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I find it not funny, but I guess kind of 
interesting that, you know, when it happened, um, there was absolutely no footage of any, anywhere near the Pentagon for one. I mean, you can, we can put cameras and we can take pictures of other planets in space, but we can't take a picture of the Pentagon, maybe like a picture from across the street somewhere. There was like a store or something, but every kind of picture you see is grainy at best. Um, a lot of people say it wasn't a plane. It was a missile. They had that. Um, directly after 9-11, they had reports of men pulling up to the site, opening up the back of a van, dumping out plane engines, you know, just to make it look like there was a plane there that actually crashed. Um, the hijackers' passports on the floor, they were completely unburned, you know, nothing had happened to them. Um, just all kinds of crazy stories. I mean, the one story that I had found interesting um, was... I think it was the day before uh, Donald Rumsfeld had mentioned that there was about $2.3 trillion that was missing, uh, that it was unaccounted for. And then directly, you know, the next day, that area that was responsible for, I guess, cooking the books, I would say, um, was actually hit by the plane. Um, and then, you know, all that information was gone. Um, kind of, I guess, maybe some of the crazier theories that stick out in your head that you find interesting you could go ahead and share some of those with us. Oh, is uh, is that a question? Um, no, well, sorry. I don't know. I mean, I, again, I've heard all sorts of crazy theories um, and which crazy theory is correct, uh, again, is a point that's open to contention. I will point people to the work that I've done on this subject, which I've done voluminously over the years, including, uh, for example, just something that I've just pulled up as you're talking on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Uh, not only did I do the 9-11 conspiracy theory short five minute funny video that I think a lot of people saw at that time, um, but I also did a, a podcast on 35 reasons to question 9-11, talking about all sorts of different things that clearly we have been lied to, and admittedly so, um, on so many aspects of this. Uh, with regards specifically, yes, um, with regards to, for example, the $2.3 trillion, it was... I mean, in a sense, it was announced in a press briefing the day before. To be fair, it had been known about for many months before that point and been talked about. Um, but it was on 9-10 that Rumsfeld gave his speech at the Pentagon declaring a war on bureaucracy. And I included a bit of that in my 9-11 uh, Trillions documentary, uh, specifically the part where he says, weirdly enough, he says, well, no one would think that the, 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 um, the Secretary of State could wage war on the Pentagon or could something along those lines. Yeah. Just, you know things that sound really interesting in the context of what happened the very next day. Um, but yes, I also documented um, the very uh, offices that were, that were working on the army budget and the missing part of the missing trillions were hit on, in the Pentagon on that day specifically. And I documented that um, per perhaps potentially in 9-11 trillions at any rate in a speech that I gave uh, in Malaysia on 9-11 truth uh, about eight, nine years ago. Um, I've talked about, for example, I've talked to Aiden Monaghan about the remote controlled aspect of the planes that day and the maneuvers that they were doing that could not have been done by humans and why um, they could not have been done by humans uh, or regular human pilots anyway. Um, I've talked, for example, um, uh, to researchers like, um, oh, you're really putting my memory to the test today. And this <laughs> is embarrassing because I know- uh, right. I know all these people, the, the person who wrote about the anthrax um, attacks as well, but he um, also did a, a, a comprehensive study of um, the firefighter testimony, mm. um, talking about explosives and the hundreds of documentable instances of firefighters attesting to explosives or explosions happening in the buildings that day before they came down. Um, I've 
talk to Kevin Ryan, for example, who of course has done all sorts of work on just access to the buildings before the demolitions took place and how that could have, uh, how that could have taken place. Um, uh, the building seven, I've talked obviously to architects and engineers from 9-11 Truth and other researchers about building seven. And um, for example, highlighted the work of the recent report from the University of Alaska Fairbanks talking about um, their structural study showing that that could not have been just a regular collapse in the way that NIST talked about with the uh, fire, fire-induced collapse. Um, I, I, again, I just, I mean, there's so much, so many different threads there that I don't even know where to begin, other than to say if there's anyone out there that still just unquestioningly believes that, it, well, it was Al-Qaeda and the 9-11 Commission found that, I would at least uh, ask them to look at the 9-11 Commission itself and what documentably various members of that commission have said on the record about that commission being some form of cover-up, um, sometimes in those direct words, other times by implication, and that we were not provided access to documents that we asked for, or the testimony, for example, Philip Zelikow, the commission di- director, um, had, before the 9-11 commission even began its work, had an entire outline of the finished 9-11 commission report, including not just chapters and not just headings, but subheadings and sub-subheadings, um, uh, which was even made fun of by commission staffers at the time. They were sending internal memos joking about, oh, you know, it's like uh, the if the um, the Warren Commission had had a preliminary report in 1963 and, you know, November 23rd, we don't know yet, but this is probably what happened, right. uh, which is essentially is what the Warren Commission was anyway. But uh, uh, yeah, there was definitely echoes of that sort of thing. Again, I could go on and on for hours about this, um, but just generally, I would say that people should look at the very least into my documentary work on the subject, 9-11 Trillions, Follow the Money, and 9-11 War Games, which shows that uh, there were, you can't look at 9-11 as a normal day of air operations. It was a a, a nest, a sea, an interlocking web of all of these different um, uh, war games and um, uh, practice activity and other things that were going on on that morning specifically to turn the Northeast air defense sector into a largely completely undefended and undefendable airspace that day with mass confusion, games going on that were injecting false blips on radars, um, hijacks, uh, simulations of hijacks, that were going on on that very same day. And I just, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable from any perspective, but unfortunately most of the public only knows about one-tenth of 1% of that story. Yeah. It's funny how you mentioned that the the people that still believe that it was, you know, like Al Qaeda and things like that. It's, I mean, there's a lot of them out there. Uh, And I I speak to a lot of them. I see a lot of them online. Um, Just a lot of people that are like, but, but is it the bad Al Qaeda or the good Al Qaeda? Because of course they were good in the 1980s (laughs) and then they were bad in the late nineties into 2001, but then they were good again in Syria. So I don't know which, which Al Qaeda these people are referring to. Well, they're all the same to them. I mean, they, they can, they can really care less. I mean, I I get, I speak to people about it because I mean, I go on and on about it still. And it's, I mean, it shouldn't be forgotten. Obviously it's, it's just something that we've never gotten answers for. Obviously. I mean, nobody knows anything for sure and i guarantee you the people that do are dead and you know but it's i get the same like you know the same response from everybody really it's like oh i mean that happened so long ago it's it's gone now i mean who cares i've been what do you mean who cares bro everything that's been set up that was set up at that time is affecting our lives up until now endless wars i mean we've been in a state of war since 
then really they yeah. really got away and especially it's especially relevant because the forgotten part of 9-11 that a lot of people don't even remember took place now was october of 2001 and the anthrax scare right. which again i very vividly remember working as in that commercial real estate office and it was a daily joke at that time because i had to open the mail before <laughs> no. saying if any you know if any white powder comes in <laughs> don't yeah. don't bring it near me ha 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 but yeah. slightly serious because that was the scare that was going around at the time and people are dying from this anthrax it there's these letters it says we have the anthrax you're next blah blah blah. whatever oh my god it's al-qaeda it's the ongoing thing congress shuts down the patriot acts get gets passed then oh anthrax uh we said it had traces that tied it to iraq actually that was totally fictitious and oh by the way it came from us amrit anyway let's move on and never talk about that again which is essentially what happened but Unfortunately, the entire precedent of the anthrax attacks is now playing out in the past year, year and a half. That was the real kickoff of the biosecurity state apparatus that has been put in place over the past two decades and that got actualized in the past year. Yeah, I mean, that was just kind of like the earlier run. I mean, one of the the earlier runs that happened here was when the Ebola thing started up. Um, I remember the individual that came from Africa that came over here to Dallas. Um, he was staying literally about, I want to say, 100 yards from my house is where that whole thing kind of happened. Um, you know, they quarantined everybody there in that whole area and everything that was going on. I mean, if I mean, it, it was definitely happening, but I think one of the things that I had seen that day um, was the workers that were coming to clean you know, they came like in the hazmat suits and they were coming to clean the area and things like that. Walking into like the house and stuff without any kind of suits on or gloves on or masks on. And I was like, wait a minute, like they're quarantining off like whole sections of the neighborhood, but these guys just walk in there, like whatever. I mean, is there actually something going on or is it, you know, are they just bullshitting this? Um, but I mean, that was kind of like a setup for the whole larger thing now, I think, um, you know, with, freaking COVID. I mean, everybody's afraid to go outside. People get yelled at for not wearing masks. It's completely ridiculous. And um, it's definitely gotten worse. I mean, even though things are starting to calm down, you know, like I mentioned here, but it's for a lot of people, it's, it's the end of the world. Um, yeah. And, really and as it. I say, it's a continuity of agenda that's been playing out my entire adult life, your entire adult life now. It's just that most people haven't seen it coming. I have actually been following this story over the years. So I, I guess I was situated to see this. I had a podcast, for example, in 2008 on medical martial law, which I, I when I re-aired that in 2020, people are going, oh, you know, I would have laughed at that 12 years ago. Oh, but here we are. So, um, uh, but it, 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 yeah, I, I mean, there's obviously precedence for it, but certainly with the anthrax attacks, which by the way, came just a few months after the dark winter exercise that was being done um, in conjunction with Johns Hopkins and um, some other entities, the Center for Health Security, or what became the Center for Health Security, uh, put on an exercise in summer of 2001. What if some deadly terrorist group released smallpox on the U.S. and what would it look like? And we'll play it out. And they had these actors playing various roles, but actually people, I mean, real staffers that were playing various roles in the U.S. government, uh, including someone named Robert Cadlick, who um, gave the name of the the exercise in one of the fake news reports that they did for this that you can see up on YouTube um, where he says, you know, this is going to be a very dark winter for America. Um, and 
uh, Robert Cadlick was part of the Answer Institute's Institute for Homeland Security, which was started in 1999. He was uh, slated to start delivering a course on homeland security that was set to start on September 11th, 2001. Mm. Um, he ended up not being able to deliver that course because he was busy dealing with the U.S. government's response to the anthrax attacks, which, of course, he had been simulating under the smallpox guys just a few months before. He actually became part of the team that was helping in the response to the anthrax attacks after that, and, of course, selling lots and lots of vaccines for the U.S. military uh, for shady um, uh, medical industrial complex uh, contractors. He went on in the later part of the, the 2000s to um, to he- uh, start uh, essentially a new office um, that he ended up heading under the Trump administration, which became one of the offices dealing with the COVID-19 scares. So there's continuity all over the place. And it leads through things like the WHO and the inter- international health regulations that I believe were formed in 2005, passed in 2006, if I remember correctly, um, that instituted new things like public health emergency of international concern, this new designation that would allow the WHO to act internationally, would even allow the UN to start sending troops into countries that had been designated, you know, um, places of emergency where some sort of bio-emergency was taking place, all these sorts of new powers that were given that were flexed for the first time in 2009 with the swine flu scare. Uh, There was the bird flu scare before that, which wasn't even a thing um, that actually happened. People were just warning, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, including people like then Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld, who just happened to be on the board of the company that had the patent for Tamiflu, which was, of course, what the U.S. government had to stockpile just in case this bird flu ever got off the ground. 2009 swine flu turned out to be less deadly than your average flu season, um, but still necessitated all of that panic and hysteria and the flu vaccine uh, and all of that, which, oh, by the way, ended up having its own side effects that they later had to admit. Um, 2000, what was it, 15 or so, you got the uh, the Ebola and then, or was it 2014? And then, and then yeah. 2016, you get Zika. So I have seen this over and over and over and over, but it's like a damp squib every time. It's just like, they're just flexing the muscle and that's why in 2020, when I when the the it started at the beginning of the year, you started hearing more about this Wuhan flu thing and what's going on in China, and I I assumed it was going to be another iteration of that, um, right. like like Ebola, like Zika, like something else. I didn't think they were going to pull the trigger, and I certainly didn't expect that, given what has actually played out, as opposed to those dramatic images we were seeing that were clearly hoaxes of people falling dead on the street instantaneously kind of thing, given what has actually played out in reality, um, it's absolutely horrifying to me that the public has fallen for it as deeply as they have. Yeah. And what's even worse is, is that they fall, they're falling for the vaccine answer you know that if you take the vaccine it's going to save you and you're not you're going to be fine i mean i just read a report today i don't remember exactly where i don't have it with me but um about 30 teachers in pennsylvania actually called in to work saying that they were going to be able to make it because they had adverse reactions from the vaccine um a lot of people have been reporting that you know that they're having issues with it as well some people are dying from it now what people want to make of hank aaron and um Freaking Marvin, marvelous Marvin Hagler as well. He got the vaccine. He died afterwards. But you know, whatever, whatever anybody wants to make of that, I just don't think you should dismiss dismiss the fact that they had taken the virus previously. Now, if you want to say it was because of it or not, 
you know, whatever we don't know, there's not enough evidence for that. I don't think we'll ever be able to get hands on that evidence, but we shouldn't dismiss the fact that they had actually taken the vaccine previously. Um, now, you know, they were obviously up there in age, so that might also have played a factor as well, but um, it's definitely f- extremely fishy. I mean, there's a lot of people that stand to gain from the vaccine as well. Fauci's one of them, and he's out there. I think, yeah, fishing. I think the important point to stress with regards to the vaccines is that it has become a, a sort of magical talisman in the mind of the public that isn't at all about facts or evidence or numbers or rationality in any sense whatsoever. It is simply the public has been scared into this invisible enemy as uh, Trump called it, the, you know, that's that we're all fighting now. And mm-hmm. the vaccine is your ticket to freedom, as it is literally being called in the press right now. I saw a, uh, a article a week or two ago talking about these uh, vaccine certificate papers that you get, you're gonna have to keep yours, scan it in, take a picture of it on your phone, because this is going to be your ticket to freedom. We already see that playing out in Israel right now, where you right. have to have vaccination certificate cert- certification to do basically anything in public life. Now, that is starting to be implemented everywhere they're going to start that obviously internationally with the the uh the covid uh, d- uh passports essentially um which is being implemented and even here in japan they said well we're not going to do that because that would unfairly discriminate against people who can't take the vaccine but n- uh, that was a couple of weeks ago now they're saying well if everyone else is doing it we're gonna have to do it so <laughs> surprise surprise yeah. that's exactly how this agenda is designed to roll out and if you actually stop to ask people what it is about the vaccine that they think is going to change anything, they will not be able to provide an answer because as the companies, the manufacturers themselves even admit, this was not tested for, nor is it meant to stop infection or transmission of anything. It is meant to reduce symptoms. It might stop you from having the sniffles if all goes well. And oh yeah, 95% effective in the trials. What does that number even mean? Well, even by their own ginned up doctored trials, that is a relative risk reduction, not an absolute risk reduction. So you're talking about tens of thousands of people enrolled in these trials. You have 160 or whatever it was that ultimately ended up displaying symptoms. And of those, you can say, oh, well, eight of them were in the uh, in the vaccine group and then 100 or whatever were in the control group. Therefore, 95% effective. It's literally a few people. It, it comes down to a few people out of this trial of tens of thousands of people is the reason we can now deem this 95% safe and effective. FDA approved, asterisk. Well, not really approved. It's emergency use authorization. And oh, yeah, this is the fastest rollout of any vaccine in history. But don't worry, trust us, it's t- totally safe. And yeah, what vaccine, asterisk, it's not really a vaccine. It's actually gene therapy. It's mRNA uh, uh, use of mRNA to construct proteins that then your immune system will respond to never before tried in humans. But don't worry, we've rushed it into production. The trials are still ongoing. We admit this, the trials are still ongoing, but we're going to force people to start taking this. What, To me, what the most worrying aspect of all of this is, I, I'm not even as worried about dropping dead from taking this vaccine or dropping dead the next day. It is the precedent that is being set for emergency use authorization of some completely experimental, untested, unproven medical technology to be inserted into people on the back of some emergency. No time to think, no time to do anything. You have to take it or you cannot participate in society. If there is anyone with two brain cells to rub together, do not see how incredibly, fundamentally, terrifying that weapon is in the hands of any government, then I don't know what to say. If you will forsake your your basic right to bodily autonomy 
on the back of some something you were being told to be scared of in an emergency situation, no time to think, then unfortunately you forfeited your humanity. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people that are scared out there and they, they care less about any of that kind of stuff. It's, it's, you know, some of the things that I see online, it's, it's just, you know, if you don't get the vaccine, you're killing all of us or you're going to kill your family and just the ridiculous things that, that people think about it's just because of what they heard somewhere other people talking about or they saw on, on tv you know things like that it's and they don't they don't care they just don't care that they have, that they're going to trample on other people's rights and freedoms and things like that it's just as long as you they, they want you to have it they don't care because they're just so scared that they're going to end up dying but i mean if you get the vi- if you get the vaccine why are you why are you afraid if i don't get it i mean you're going to be safe right you're wearing four masks you wear a face shield you have the vaccine, you're going to be fine. If I die, then, you know, what's the deal then? I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's getting kind of crazy and it's getting scary. I'm not scared of the virus. Nobody that I know is actually scared of the virus. A lot of people that I've known have had the virus. Uh, I believe, even though I never really find out for sure that my son and I had it in 2018, in December of, you know, I just, it was just really, crappy time that we got sick and we got sick pretty bad we're like in bed for two weeks things like that um we're pretty sure that we had it then but i mean it wasn't anything different from the regular flu um you know we got over it and and that was that (laughs) so but yeah you know whatever let them kind of sit in their little holes and you know just be afraid and in the meantime we're going to be out and about doing what we do so it's not going to really affect us that much but um i guess before we get going here before we let you go i guess i kind of want to get your thoughts here on um so at the time 9-11 right before 9-11 happened um the owner that was in charge of the building or who owned the building uh, larry silverstein was his name i believe um what do you make of the fact that he actually took out a large insurance policy right before that happened um do you have like any kind of thoughts on i mean that seems extremely shady to me <laughs> um that, you know that right before that ended up happening they took out large insurance policies, you know, just in case. And then he actually ended up cashing in on the building afterwards. Right. So, okay. If people want all of the details of this, once again, I'll direct them to my 9-11 trillions documentary. It's corporatereport.com slash 911 trillions. And I've got the exact details of this with the links to all of the source documents. Um, But essentially, yes, for people who don't know, Larry Silverstein um, on behalf of Silverstein Properties and his partners was negotiating a lease, a 99-year lease of the Twin Towers in the summer of 2001. Well, he signed it on July 24th of 2001. And in the intervening few months between July 2001 and September 2001, he was attempting to, um, to get the insurance on the buildings. But Weirdly enough, um, he wanted uh, specifically a type of insurance that would um, that would was double the insurance that the Port Authority, the previous the, the owner of the the World Trade Center property, had. Of I think they had one point five billion dollars of coverage. He wanted um, it. Had, the buildings had been valued at one point two. He wanted three point five five billion dollars of coverage, mm-hmm. and specifically, he wanted. Um, I don't know. I, I don't remember the exact phrase. I'd have to look it up. But something ab- about terrorist active terrorism or something like that in the in the coverage now here's here's one aspect of this that that muddies the waters is that the insurance was not actually finalized on september 11th there was a preliminary agreement with the tenants in place but not all the i's were dotted and t's were crossed so it necessitated years and years and years of court wrangling for 
uh, lucky Larry to ultimately get um, something in the neighborhood of four, four and a half billion. Again, I have the exact numbers in the documentary. You can look right. it up. Right. Um, so the, I suppose a counter argument would be, no, no, no. If anything, Silverstein was left holding the bag and clearly wasn't, you know, on the inner workings of this plot because he would have had the deal in place. He would have had everything done by September 11th if he had been on the inner workings of the plot, right? right? Why was he left holding the bag and, you know, he had to continue fighting through the court system for years and years and years in this long drawn out process um, in order to ultimately get his money? Uh, I, there is that argument to be made. I don't, I mean, again, I'm not on the inside of this plot. I cannot tell you who knew what and when and to what degree and et cetera, et cetera. But yes, it is extremely interesting that Lucky Larry, who had his breakfast meeting at the top of the World Trade Center every, at least every Tuesday, I'm not sure if it was every single day, but at any rate, it was a regular thing he was doing, obviously in those months, just having signed the 99-year lease on the Twin Towers, working with the tenants, all of that stuff. He was doing that in a regular breakfast meeting that he was holding at 8 a.m. or whatever it was every single morning at the top of the Twin Towers. But that particular day, he was on his way out the door and his wife said, but you have an appointment to look at that skin you know, lesion or whatever you have. It might be cancer. You better go to your doctor's appointment. Oh, okay, I'll go to my doctor's appointment today. So he was late for his breakfast. And oh, wouldn't you know it, that was September 11, 2001. So, I mean, there's a lot of, and and his children also were conveniently out of the building that day. So there's a, a, obviously a lot of reasons to question that. But there's a there's a bigger story there. And uh, that's again, that's that's only the billions, let alone the trillions when we start talking about what the Pentagon's um, monetary in, uh, interest in 9-11 was. Right, right, right. Yeah. So the, I had always heard, um, not always, but I guess one of the stories that I had heard a while back was that there was actually a group of um students from Israel that were staying in the building. Did you ever hear of anything like that, that they were staying like in a hall? Uh, yeah. Like hall uh, yeah. Or? Was that the B thing or was that a different thing? Anyway? Yeah. There were Israeli art students that had infiltrated the, uh, the twin towers and were mm -hmm. um, camped out on uh, sort of in between floors on an unused floor for, uh, um, I believe it was the year before nine 11. Right. And they, they were doing an art project essentially um, <laughs> to show. And again, the point of this is to demonstrate that yes, absolutely things could be taking place in that building that at least officially were not known about or not suspected by the security and yes they had access to the inner parts of the building where how could how could this have happened how could anyone have planted explosives or done anything in that time well here's an example of people who were infiltrating the building and its security yeah i always found that interesting that they were just up there i mean you know, always heard stories as well of other people that like you mentioned earlier they were infiltrating the building people that thought that they were that they had thought they had planted explosives, you know, inside the building. They, they had a lot of people that worked in the building. They would, they thought they heard what sounded like other people doing construction in the building and things like that. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of crazy things leading up to that time. A lot of weird stories, um, you know, from firefighters and other people as well, but um, it's definitely interesting. But uh, Mr. Corbett, I really appreciate your time, sir. Um, could you kind of, I guess, could you let everybody know where they can find your work, where they can also, you know, where they can find all the documentaries as well, things like that? I always recommend people go directly to the website CorbettReport.com because as people may or may not know, I hope your audience knows, the main social media platforms are being censored heavily right now. And I am about to have my main YouTube channel taken down. I've got two strikes on it, one more strike, and the entire channel will be taken down. 
they've already algorithmically um, uh, censored right. me in various ways. So it's extremely hard to find my reports simply by searching, even by direct title. Even if you put Corbett after it, you still often won't get the actual report that I've done. So don't use YouTube or Google for your searching and uh, go to the source of the material if and when possible. In this case, that's CorbettReport.com. I do post to Minds.com, BitChute, Library, all sorts of different places, but it'll always be at CorbettReport.com, at least until they start seizing domains. And then it'll be at 77.235.49. I don't remember. You better note that down and make note of it. And also, oh, by the way, I have an IPFS backup that is, even if I wanted to take it down, I couldn't. It's up there. Uh, It's distributed. There are various nodes around the world that are helping to host it right now. It's running actually pretty quickly. It's linked on the sidebar of my site. So at the very least, just bookmark that IPFS backup so that when and if they blow up my servers or whatever, um, it'll still be up there. The information is still preserved. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely link all everything, all the websites and everything in the show notes as well. Um, like I mentioned, we're on YouTube, so they'll probably hit us as well, but um, we can find us on Rumble as well, um, things like that. Eventually the websites will get up and running. Um, we have a Discord as well, so everything will be kind of linked in there. Um, just so everybody can have access to it, um, like I mentioned before. And we'll have the websites up there and everything as well. Um, but Mr. Corbett, I really appreciate your time, sir. Um, you know, if you're jumping on here as well, make sure you guys stay safe out there. Make sure you stay sane out there. I know a lot of stuff doesn't kind of make it out to Japan, you know, the way that it does here. But it's 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 going to start to kick off here soon. And it's going to start going global, like you mentioned earlier. It's you know, they're coming for all of us here. So we got to kind of sit tight and see what happens these next few months. But hopefully, you know, the worst was already behind us. But, um, you know, like I mentioned, just make sure you stay safe. Well, let's there. not just hope for that. And I'll, I'll direct people specifically to my Solutions Watch series where I'm looking at things that we can actively do to start creating the world that we want rather than just analyzing the the moves of they, them, those on the grand chessboard, as they call it. No, we have a part to play in what we can actually do with our lives. And I want to stress that because it's, for me, and I imagine most of my regular audience anyway, it's time to stop just analyzing what they are doing to us and start looking at what we can do. So that's what I'm attempting to do with my Solutions Watch series. Awesome. Yeah, should be good to go. Yeah, well, sir, like I mentioned, I appreciate your time. Uh, Everybody else, if you guys are catching us on YouTube, like I mentioned prior, make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit that like button as well. I'm pretty sure they are censoring us like they are you as well. Um, We don't really have that far-reaching reach yet, but I'm pretty sure that's probably part of the reason why. Um, But if you guys are watching us on YouTube and you aren't already a subscriber, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Catch us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as iHeartRadio as well. Uh, We'll send the links to Mr. Corbett's website and everything. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Rumble for us. You guys can find find all the links there. Um, If you guys have any questions for our guests or if we have any guests or topic recommendations, hit us up on thetruthdefender1776 at gmail.com. Everybody, I hope you guys have a great week. Stay safe out there. Stay blessed. And most of all, stay frosty.